Hey, folks, and a warm welcome to all our listeners out there. This is the year end of the Workgrid podcast. Um, and it's a bit of a special episode because today's episode is going to be a bit more informal and off the cuff. It'll be a little bit of work meets play today and uh, a dash of holiday spirit. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Ryan, and I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. And I'm also joined by my partner in crime here for this episode, Frank Patheel. Frank, you want to say hi? Hi, and welcome to what might be your last podcast before you get canceled because you let me on. This That would be <laughs> such a shame. Such a shame. Um, today's episode is uh, it's it's somewhat of a holiday capstone, if you will, and a recap of the year of the digital workplace. And um, we had a number of fantastic guests on the show during this half year of the podcast. Um, we'll be actually covering some of the highlights and lowlights of the digital workplace, intranet, AI space, workplace technology. Um, and you could expect a little bit of the unexpected. In fact, some of those guests I just mentioned, um, they'll be popping in and out today, sharing some of their holiday traditions, their naughty and nice list for technology, maybe even some work-life balance tips for the season. Um, so let's actually dive right into this holiday special of the work grid uh, and let the festivities begin. So, Frank, how about we start with a bit of some of those highlights for 2023 as it relates to workplace technology? Uh, highlights. Um, I, I think this is the year. I mean, after after a couple of years of, of, of COVID-influenced um, work styles, yeah. this is the year. And we'll get into this with Naughty and Lice lists that, that hybrid work really had to, you know, so the preseason was over. <laughs> and, and, and now digital workplace actually, you know, had to go figure out. How to actually work two days a week, and and this is where we um, this is where we actually this is where the rubber met the road this year. After a couple of years of talking about it, mm. I think we actually got to um, this was the live fire exercise because now you had a choice between being in the office and being at home, and um, what the digital workplace is truly capable of. Yeah, we figured out, or we were starting to figure out. We are. And, you know, I felt like COVID was certainly certainly the rise of teams and teams, in fact, posted up. I want to say it was around, oh, boy, July of 2023 that they were consistently maintaining around 270 million active users um, working through teams. And yeah. I think that was shared as a part of their um, part of their uh, quarter, quarter, three, I mean, quarter two, but, but, but 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 teams won COVID. Does anybody mm, true. does anybody really love Teams? Is anybody sitting there waking up in the morning going, you know what I want to do? <laughs> I want to hop on Teams. Can't wait to get back in there. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone really it, it, it demands to get back in. I think it's they they have to. It's it's just the way they have working. to. Yeah. 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 So is what was that number? Two hundred and twenty three thousand million? Two hundred and seventy million active users. Yeah. Yeah. How do, one, how do they define an active user? And two, is this the zenith? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, they have tried to double down, certainly, mm -hmm. on instantiating more value into Teams. Mm -hmm. um, right around that mm -hmm. time, I think Yammer rebranded as Viva Engage and you know, this is the you, an, this is the annual Yammer rebranding. Yeah, because how far do we have to go back? Do we have to go back to twenty? 2010 or 2011 when it was i think um, we go back far enough we find the napster guy there and i'm not even making that up so you know 
yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know if I have that in my notes at, at all, but I want to say it was, um, you know, it used to be in my brain. I want to say it was 2010 and it was acquired for $1 billion and then never really formally integrated into the the full stack experience so that it was it was truly seamless. It, it was almost a sidecar, if you will, and orphaned as, as trying to trying to be a part of something. So this was their move to engage, if you will, and make community a part of that experience. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think Yammer is what it is. Uh, it's it's free. It's built into the product. Yeah. Um, the, the question turns into uh, when Yammer was originally conceived, there was the concepts of, of, of you need a social place and the social social paradigms were really only in Yammer. In mm. in 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 a in a small set of products. Now I can go and tell a joke or drop an emoji into a reaction in Salesforce, and I can write a blog in Confluence, and yeah. um, I can have social interactions inside Slack or inside Teams channels. Sure? Um, and I can dry do cultural driving things out of um, employee engagement and and rewards tools. Um, that can send a kudo out as an email or uh, something to a million other places. So, um, you know, if 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 the if Yammer was meant to spread joy and culture, that joy and culture is spread everywhere. And then we got a little bit of it. You know, it is it is it is sprinkled throughout every application. You know, you get some joy and culture, and you get some joy and culture. It's like it's everywhere. So 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 what's left for Yammer to do now? That's a good That's question. That's a yeah. good question because, you know, there were organizations that were trying to leverage. Of course, there were limiters on that teams for top down communication, community mm -hmm. of interest, community of practice. And those would tap themselves out after you get to so many users in terms of actual viability and value to an organization. Um, and you're right, it is those capabilities leech have leached into every single product. I mean, it doesn't take much for even an independent developer to stand up an ESN communities of interest, communities of practice, wherever it's um, it's everywhere. So what value does it bring? And, you know, perhaps only to those who are trying to stitch together a digital workplace and define what to use when. Yeah. It, 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 they're, they're in this day and age. I mean, this is, this is kind of the, the, the rise of 2023. We, this for the past six months, I've not really thought about COVID at all. That's good. I go places. I um, I would hope I, not. No, I don't. I I don't. I don't. I don't care. I have I have a mask uh, that that's in my bag. It's in the. It's been in the same, you know, container or uh, you know, like a plastic cellophane sleeve for a year, and I, it probably hasn't come out. Right. So we're going back to the office. We're going to sporting events. We're we're living our lives. Mm. Um. But we're doing it hybrid. We're trying to sort things out. You're seeing yeah. ENPS scores go down. People are having going back to work, and and now we're 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 wrestling with all those things. Honestly, I think people are just trying to figure out how to go get work done. And then, the, and the question becomes, in this environment where I'm trying to balance life and family and commutes, and what days am I in the office, and what days am I not in the office, and how do I work with the people I work with? All of the tools that I work with my fellow 
my cohort mm. have social mechanisms. So the question then becomes, okay, well, I am doing serious things and trying to solve serious things right now. What is this Yammer thing even for? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and and, and that's that that's kind of the question I often have. Um with it. And every time I, I'm at a Microsoft thing, I you know, they they will talk about Yammer if you put your hand up and say, what about Yammer? They'll say, yeah. Oh, well, of course, Yammer, 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 but 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 they want to get back to Viva Engage. Mm-hmm. They want to get to Viva Amplify. They want to get to Viva, whatever, whatever will whatever is powered by eight thousand Accenture consultants showing up and sending you a seven-figure check bill. You know, I mean, that's and they're not going to bring up Yammer unless I really kind of poke them. Mm-hmm. And then you know, oh yeah, yeah, well of course Yammer integrates. Really, how? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, now you're waving all about. <laughs> all about co-pilot right so yeah which is which is certainly certainly disruptive but i think the the thing that the thing that disrupted uh when as i was reading through and researching the most was uh the price tag if you will yeah, that's disrupting to your wallet <laughs> it's highly <laughs> disrupting to your wallet <laughs> and how much there so uh for some context um i think it was announced somewhere hey who do we got we have justin pocheck coming in and he's uh he's connecting fantastic our first guest of the day justin thanks for joining us uh frank and i were wondering what's that in the corner is that a uh is that a server or refrigerator it looks yeah. like a wood chipper uh what corner here uh, the one uh to your i'm pointing to the screen that helps um the one that would be side? to your left yeah so this way yeah uh just a conference room so whiteboard that's about it Oh, okay. It's a whiteboard. Wow, I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. Is, is this the room where they brought uh, where, where they figured out how to bring uh, Apollo thirteen home? No, this is the new building. <laughs> Where's the aliens, Justin? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> spelling information coming out there. Unfortunately, you know more than I do. Nice. Oh boy! Thanks for joining us, uh, Justin. Yeah. How about a brief introduction to folks who might have missed your uh, episode of the podcast? Yeah, sure. Uh, Justin Pocheck. Um, I've uh, I work at Marshall Space Flight Center here at NASA, but more importantly, uh, I got four kids. Uh, that, that's basically a, a harder job than any other job I've ever had. Uh, I've worked with you, Rob and Frank, and others uh, for several years. Well, five years now, Rob. Is that what we're going on? Five years. Gosh, working with you guys. it's all, it's, it's longer than that at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I live in uh, North Alabama, uh, and I've been working in the digital workplace collaboration space now for about uh, about 15 years or so. Um, so that's me. Fantastic. Frank and I were just getting into um, some of the, the latest news around digital workplace, internet collaboration 2023, and we were just touching upon um, the rise of Teams as well as Microsoft Copilot and, this, and the price thereof. Oh, look, we got uh, another guest joining us right now, Rebecca O'Reilly. Hey. Hello, Rebecca. everyone. That was a much smoother transition to uh, to Justin's. Justin's was, uh, he's in a he's in a conference room. I don't think you could have found a bigger conference room, Justin. Yeah, but, but apparently rocket one. scientists don't know how to work uh, web cameras. So, you know, I'm not sure. You know. Yeah, I got this really big TV I was trying to use, right? And... Uh, <laughs> 
didn't work. Not working. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to see you all. Yeah. Like same same thing. Should I uh, do three, two, one? You want to just let Rebecca cut on? No, in? no. Believe me, she came in seamless. Like so, Justin had a rough shot coming in in terms of uh, in terms of audio video. What? Yeah, it was a complete. Yeah. <laughs> it was a complete. Me and Frank trying to pantomime yeah. for uh, five minutes on uh, yeah. a digital workplace stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I crashed like the aliens, and their uh, MIB is going to show up here pretty soon. Collect uh, some, <laughs> some materials. I'll do with the magic of video. Uh, Becky, how about, a, how about a brief introduction to folks who perhaps uh, missed your episode, but it might have been it, it might have been very few people who missed it, in fact, after I looked at the uh, analytics. Uh, hi, I'm Becky O'Reilly. I'm the VP of Professional Services at Igloo Software. So it's good to see everybody. I've been working with a few of you for quite some time and um, yeah, just doing all things strategy and implementation and design and uh yeah just just uh love working with our customers and it's, it's great to see you see you all excellent excellent frank and i were just getting into some of the uh the highlights and lowlights of the year uh before you, you guys joined well, let's and be completely honest so it was mostly me ranting but <laughs> <laughs> frank was ranting about uh a bit of teams and kind of how uh yammer um yammer ended up going through a rebranding effort i think to what is it now viva engage i don't know it's every year it's like you know <laughs> I think the original question you were asking was, what were the highlights of the digital workplace in 2023? Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, it just drops into a black hole of of of, of, of anger. <laughs> and return to work, right? And return to work. Yeah. So may as well, maybe that's the question. Maybe maybe that's the place that we start with uh, with Justin and, and, and Rebecca who asked the same question. Yeah. Justin, what are you seeing? I mean, you you're literally returned to work right now, it looks like. I'm the only one here. Uh, I'm in this uh, building, and there's probably a dozen cars in the parking lot. So Fridays are still pretty typical flex days for folks to work from home. Because of my kid's situation, I'm coming in town anyway, and so it's just easier to keep that routine, come in, and uh, you know, be, stay focused on the work that I'm, I'm doing. But yeah, so you know, uh, for us, we have like a three days mandatory in, in the office, and then and then you're able to pick uh, two flex days. And work from home um and so we're seeing that and you know we're pretty much following following that rule what's funny is we come into the office and there are some people and you know, there are quite a few who will have in-person meetings in conference rooms especially more of the leadership uh they still kind of continue that practice uh but people are on teams all day long so they come into the office to just hop back on the same computer screen that they were on at home that's right yep okay okay uh, with headsets that, 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 that. in the cube form yeah Nice. And are, are, are you finding that Wednesday has become the new Monday because you have, you have two days a week or three days in a week? It's never that just just guessing, but that either of those two or three days are never a Monday or never a Friday. Yes. So we, we were almost always a Wednesday. Our leadership was purposeful in that. Right. And so we said Monday and Thursdays were mandatory days. You pick your third day and then Fridays are you can work from home or whatever you want to do. But so we and so contractors are different than government employees. So for government employees, we had to identify those days, what our on-site mandatory days were, and we have to stick to that. So if I'm going to, if I'm, if say I'm Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, if I want to alternate Wednesday for a Thursday, then it would be a, 
uh, I have to talk to people about that so people know where I'm at. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we have traditional, you know, timekeeping, hour tracking, um, mm-hmm. policies that we follow as government employees and things like that. So, um, we kind of have to let people know where we're, where we're at and, you know, uh, be purposeful in that. So they are encouraging more insight interaction, but you still schedule meetings back to back to back to back. And so the only way to meet those, and we work with people, although we're on a, a base, an army base or a, or a government facility, we, you know, there, there's 20, 30 different buildings that I could work with people throughout the day in. So instead of driving to those buildings, I just jump on a Teams. Wow. That's, that's crazy. The Becky, are you seeing the same thing with your customers, your clients? Are they performing the same in terms of structuring? You know, you're in here, you're out there, organization as to who's in, who's out, et cetera. Yeah, we've been seeing a big mix, like a very wide mix. So Igloo ourselves, we have gone fully remote, um, which is, which is, I mean, it was a bit of a change for us, but also not um, mm-hmm. because we, you know, luckily during the pandemic already had our, our own digital workplace very well used um, in place. And so when you needed to grab things or find information, we already had that 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 kind of infrastructure in place, which was great. But in terms of our customers, it's a really wide, wide mix. We're seeing a lot of um, hybrid sort of organized. You can be in the office two to three days a week and and pick your own schedule otherwise. Um, a lot of obviously all of our frontline uh, industries are in person. You know, they're they're a hundred percent. If you're working, you're you're on the floor, or you're you know on a manufacturing plant or something. Um, and and so we're really trying to be respectful and mindful of how different organizations need to engage differently resourced and differently placed employees um, because. It matters so much. I do find that place and space and interaction is a really unspoken kind of piece of how you get through your day and how you get through your week. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was really uh, a different approach that Igloo took when we ourselves returned to work. Um, that it was entirely optional, entirely hybrid while we, you know, still had a physical office. And I was finding the same thing where I would go in and I would love to interact with people, but I was booking a meeting room because I was on Zoom calls a lot. I talked to customers a lot who are not necessarily uh, in the same area as us or even time zone sometimes. So yeah, I was lo- I was you know showing up, logging in, grabbing a room, hiding away, and seeing coworkers in in the hall for a few minutes. Um, so yeah, it just got to the point where it's like, ah, I'll save the commute. But um, but I think that still maintaining those connections outside of just your professional work and the tasks that you do, but having those. Um, you know, building those bridges with the people around you and your peers and um, other departmental areas. And hey, you're doing that. That's cool. We're doing this. We should talk. Um, there, there's just something so special about that that um, you have to be mindful about it when you're not necessarily all in the office five days a week. So, from a perspective of the software, and then Justin, same question from the perspective of an implementer. How do you adapt the tools that you have to allow for this reality where, you know, two days a week, somebody is working from home and then one or two days a week, 
they're in the office and they are just back to back to back to back. Um, what's the gap that the tool set that's out there in digital workplaces can fill in this new environment? Like what's, what have you needed to adapt? Well, I guess I can, I can get started. I think that, um, you know, simply, <laughs> simply having profiles, um, having a directory where it's a little bit more than just my name and my email address, and my phone number and my title. Um, you can get to know people a little bit. You know, if you're if you're sort of engaging with only your departmental area and then all of a sudden you have to work with somebody else across, you know, like Justin was saying, like a different building or a different physical space. Um, or maybe somebody that lives in a different country, but is still a colleague, um, getting to know them a little bit or, you know, reading up on their background a little bit before you have a meeting can really help you feel, um, a bit familiar. Um, but also, so kind of, pardon, sorry. So I was going to say, it's sort of like the internal LinkedIn, like who they yeah. are, who they work with, what they're doing, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, even like what their interests are like, oh, hey, Rob, you're into art. That's cool. Me too. And, um, you know, it can just kind of build up some of that, uh, you know, give you some things to talk about, maybe uh, to, to build up those relationships. I think that that's the one thing that is is really hard to be to do well um, outside of like a physical space, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know, Justin, if you had any other opinions as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I'll touch on the technology here in just a second, but one of the biggest gaps I'm seeing as implementer and as a, a, a leader of transformation and, and how we work, um, I, I still see uh, generation differences as, as a big driver and challenge. And, and then as, as parallel to that, it, uh, supervisor or management practices, uh, are there, there's still a big miss there. And what are people expecting and how are we supervising or managing or how are we structuring work? Um, so I think we still have a lot of a lot to work through on that. And then that drives into the culture side of um, what are the expectations? How much freedom do we allow employees? Do we trust our employees to do work? Um, and then it leads into the training and enabling our people uh, and not, not just, you know, our NASA people, but just, you know, generically, uh, how, how do we encourage good data architecture, good knowledge architecture, uh, good practices and hygiene of using systems well. So like those are the things that I work on every day. We're doing a lot to automate processes and automate data capture uh, to make it easier to, and to kind of force that proper knowledge and data architecture. But, but you know, technically, we, we I think we're, we're really missing, especially within the government, starting to see a lot of retirements and new people come on board. And so your, your traditional things, that's really not, um, uh, not to be um, uh, looked over, but your lessons learned, your knowledge transfer, uh, your mentoring, like those things are really hard to do yeah, right now. Mentoring is, mentoring is, is immense, especially in something that has, you know, um, long histories yeah so and what's interesting is the our younger generations they want in-person mentoring like they want to be able to yeah. have hands-on and uh and so it's it's not it's not just clear black and white and what all the younger generations they just want to work it's not it's not true but it wants they want to be very purposeful on how the work is getting done so tech technology wise 
uh, really trying to push things like communities of practice, uh, getting outside of your direct organization to work matrixly to connect with people like like uh, Becky was saying. So really trying to leverage the ecosystem of uh, uh, and encouraging people go out of your comfort zone a little bit and go try to find somebody or have purposeful meetings, right? Where then you can meet other people, then you can connect digitally, and then you can continue that conversation after the fact. Like those are the things that re I'm really trying to see as, as implementer and trying to, to push some pressure on of getting people to connect um, and then document that information or that dialogue. So, you know, asynchronous communication. I mean, you, I mean, it's, it's the only way to effectively deliver tasks when you don't have people working at the same time and being able to meet at the same time, right? It just, mm -hmm. it's, there's no other option. And I think like to, to build on that a little bit, you know, I was thinking as you were talking how important that is. And in, in order, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to have the time to do that, right? And yeah. so uh, there's a real business value to it to, reducing digital friction where I'm spending far less time searching for stuff I need or trying to figure out which, you know, system it's in, or do I log this here? Or do I post it there? Um, when that's clear, you feel more effective, you feel more solid, and you've got the time to reach out to other people to build those like connections and uh, drive, you know, some more of that communication. Um, and I do think as well that, you know, the the newer generations where where organizations are not holding on to employees for 15, 20 years anymore, we're on average moving careers and moving around a little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of the the uh, younger and, and newer uh, individuals to the workforce and to organizations want value. Um, and it's a retention item right uh if i want to retain great talent i need them to feel valued i need them to feel like they're growing and learning and that this is a great place for them in order to do that they need to know who to connect with and have the time to be able to do it so yeah. i think there's a really important business conversation and business value that you can get out of a well-structured digital uh connection yeah that's right. And, and, it's, and then very simple, practical things such as, OK, if we're going to have an in-person meeting, well, make sure you fire up the teams too and hit record and then have it transcribed. And so then now you've captured knowledge that happened in the meeting. Right. Uh, and if someone happened to miss the meeting because they were sick or on vacation or, or whatever, they can still contribute to that conversation by going into the teams or going into the digital workplace, grabbing that meeting, that recording, and then now continue the conversation in chat like like though creating that uh physical memory uh, mm -hmm. in our employees i think is super important yeah i don't ever want to take meeting notes again <laughs> yeah. I've, i had oh, someone no. here's a i had someone tell me uh oh yeah i it, whenever i have an action item i say the words action item and yeah. so i have to go back to my transcription and do a control f and find all my action items to record i'm like that's right. brilliant yeah <laughs> so yeah so smart i feel like that should be up on a, a up on a whiteboard just up up in the corner permanently. It records, yeah. say action item, and off you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot yeah. of my recurrings, I have the, the the configuration set so they automatically record. I, I don't have to think about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But those those are the kind of little things I think really ingraining technology into the fabric. Just like our phones are always in our hands personally, right? Trying to somehow get that the these new business behaviors uh, that we don't even think about. 
that they just they just happen uh, as we work. Uh, you know, training training folks to do that is important. So how do we get to? I mean, so in the same way that this thing is just permanently in my hand, it, it is. It's, it's sewn on. Um, coming out of COVID, the, like, that idea of using action item, that idea of just you know turning on the uh, record automatically, um, the idea of just sort of finding how do we make that stuff just muscle memory or just how you go about work? My sense, and I'm curious what you guys think, is that um, in this new set of technologies, there isn't a kind of a given pattern on how you were, we we're all supposed to use it. Like the etiquettes and the best practices around this are still being sorted out. Mm -hmm. um, now, certainly from the point of view of a technology vendor like us, and certainly like Rebecca, we're going to say, you know, there's a way to do it. And by the way, it involves us. Um, from your viewpoint, Justin, how do you kind of create those new, you know, how do you, how do you to oversimplify it? How do you teach everybody in the office to use technologies, gravitate to it, and just adopt it like younger people just adopt um you know, Instagram or TikTok, though not TikTok in your environment, because that would be verboten. But, you know, just um, how do you get people to just sort of gravitate to those things and pick them up naturally in the same way that we are doing those things with consumer technologies? Yeah. So, I mean, you all know this, but uh, the workplace is always behind, kind of daily dollar short in terms of technology. I mean, look at enterprise search. Google in a personal life is great. Enterprise search doesn't really work. AI, your personal life, it's great. In the workplace, it doesn't exist yet, right? Because of security concerns and, and challenges that we, we face. So, um, you know, so we're always going to be a little bit behind. I, I, what, what I, I, to make, to make any progress, it takes someone like a community manager, a data architect, somebody who is purposeful in creating and establishing and pushing and cheerleading and motivating those behaviors. And as an organization, we got to have someone who says, this is how we're going to do it. They're convincing the executive leadership, getting their buy-in, having that support. And then we're pushing these people. And then it's just boots on the ground. It's training. It's coaching. It's coming alongside organizations. Um, so that's, 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 that's a given. We have to do those things. Those things don't, usually don't get funded well. But if we did fund those things well as an organization, I think we would see pretty quickly significant changes. And then that drives into our systems architecture. What applications are we investing in? Is it one like one of your guys's or is it just a 365 suite? Is it just Google? Whatever it may be, right? Investing in that, working with the tech team to architect it. So like the, the things like the auto records, you can configure that for your enterprise, right? You can configure properly your teams cha and channels and all those things so that the knowledge architecture is in place, right? You can work on the, then the enterprise search behind the scenes. And so we just don't, we're still very siloed as our organizations, as our companies. We IT makes decisions and executives makes decisions. And then maybe some people down in the business make some decisions. I think driving people closer together and more uh, and creating more synergy will go a really long way as we wait for your AIs, your chat GPTs, or your co-pilots to get up to speed and get implemented into the workplace. It's coming. Slowly. 
<laughs> it is. <laughs> I think one of the ways that uh, you derive the value, which then helps that funding and helps that follow through and the, you know, ensuring the execution is done well. Totally agree with everything you've just uh, talked about, Justin, for sure. Um, but, you know, having analytics and having having a really great output and great data points coming out of these pieces of technology that we didn't have before can be one of those places to sort of further spur it on and help the momentum, um, help it gain momentum. Because really, you know, if we're not seeing value, if an organization doesn't see value out of a technology investment, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it's not going to stay around for long, but you have to invest in the people to go alongside of it to make sure that, um, that it's being embedded into the culture of the organization. When we do this, we use that. When we do this, we use this. Um, that's really, really important. And, and that follow on is the, the thing that makes it work or not until it's, until it's muscle memory. Right. And then, then it's just part of your day to day. Yeah. And it's, it's often as, as implementer, it's hard to quantify really and qualify yeah. uh, ROI. I, um, I, I was about to say that, you know, it, it sounds like everything that we, you know we've discussed over the past couple of minutes is really this is this is bigger than just putting a news release out to employees about Taco Tuesday. Though yeah. I do love tacos, but mm. you know, um, so how do you up level that conversation? You know, we we are Gartner is talking about digital workplace leaders. You know, they've 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 produced a title and a white paper and a job description, but. Um, how do you go and find that in a matrix organization? Um, from your perspective, Justin, how do you make those connections? And then I, I guess, Rebecca, from your perspective as a software vendor, how do you help your customers kind of put those pieces together to realize this is more than just news or more than just a repository for um, random documents on HR? Good question. So for me, it's really uh, boots on the ground, right? Being proactive, building those relationships, connecting with the different business units, uh, making sure people trust uh, and are willing to accept some risk and some change, right? As as a leader, as an executive, it's all, there's a there's a risk associated with doing something new, uh, and that could be putting my data somewhere different, using a new vendor. Uh, opening up different firewalls, different ports, you know, and leveraging something that's that we don't own anymore. So it's just a lot of relationship building um, to, to really drive that integration across all the businesses, right? Because although we oftentimes work for one company, we don't often have the same goals by design, right? And so uh, there's some negotiation that happens has to happen internally to uh, to drive that synergy to really make it uh, a true integrated solution, right? Mm. Becky, what about to Frank's question again? Because I'd like to hear your perspective on that is coaching your community managers to, to truly be digital workplace leaders to kind of influence without that authority to expand their use of your technology. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that um, having a community, uh, having opportunities to network with other digital workplace leaders and and cross pollinate in ideas is something that 
that we really like. We've put a lot of time and emphasis on customer advocacy and, and working with um, with customers to share ideas and, you know, have those webinars and, and opportunities to talk with other thought leaders similar to this one, um, because uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interest and, um, uh, you, you know, and a need for additional knowledge and, and fresh ideas. Um, I think that that's a, a really important investment as well as a, a software vendor um, because it really helps the, the thought leadership around the industry grow. And so um, maintaining that and, and fostering that, you know, it's not just going to flourish on its own. It's something that you need to really put time and, and effort into. And then that gives those um, community digital workplace managers new ways of approaching their own organizations. Um, and then also uh, having the, the tooling in place, the technology in place to build community and think about, you know, what is the ROI that we're going after? What is the what is the needle that we need to move right now? Um, and having a strategic approach to it is critical. Um, but then as we were saying, you know, in a, a couple of minutes ago, that following through and executing against that strategy is is really like where it 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 flies or it it, it doesn't. Um, so yeah, I, I think that keeping that that community and that thought leadership fresh and strong and new, um, it's really nice to have a balance between an experienced community or digital workplace manager and you know fresh new young talent to um, think about how we can change the way that we're working and 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 just keep trying and, and uh, you know, it's trial and error a lot <laughs> uh, and then double down on what's working well. Becky, are you seeing a lot of corporations uh, still investing or, or leaning into the community manager or a digital workplace manager or, or some kind of executive supporting these initiatives? For sure. Yes, we are seeing um, a lot of times that, you know, They'll, they'll come to us with a need for, um, you know, something, a tool, technology uh, to store knowledge, to share communications, um, and then seeing the potential and the opportunity that lies ahead with having something in place to bring people together. Um, they realize that it's not going to just happen all on its own. And we work with them on a strategy and our customers really like that. But again, when they see that there needs, there needs to be someone that's fully dedicated, that they wake up every day and, and they live and breathe, um, making their, their digital workplace or internet a success. Um, yeah, we're seeing some investment in it. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's happening. They're asking for a job description that they could use after they've already kind of partnered with us, which is really interesting as well. Um, uh, so yeah, we're, de we're definitely still seeing it. There are some where we want to make sure that we're setting things up in a way that's going to support more of a decentralized model of governance. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're still seeing an investment in it. Our, our companies, what's the number one driver for, for folks still wanting to pursue this? Is, is it that knowledge management or is it culture or what, what's the number one reason why you see companies? So a lot of times they come to us asking for a communications um, tool or a platform or an ability to communicate again with the focus on uh, unification and frontline. We are engaging our desk employees, but our deskless frontline workers are being left out and we don't want that to happen anymore. We want to drive retention. Um, but then other times really there's like more of a push for um, 
uh, knowledge management. So, you know, we talk about communications, but then once we get into implementation and talking about strategy, it's like we have all these policies all over the place and we've got knowledge that people, you know, aren't keeping up to date and no one can access. So it swiftly evolves in communication and knowledge management coming together. Um, and that's really where I talk about collaboration. Um, you know, collaboration is really communicating around knowledge or sharing ideas and, and doing some of that asynchronous uh, engagement or collaboration with one another. Um, and, you know, having that drives a, a better uh, engaged workforce. So I think that, yeah, we hear a lot of, we need a communications tool and it swiftly evolves into um, knowledge management ask. But it's interesting. Same. Uh, it, it's interesting, Rebecca, that these things are still coming in as communication when ar arguably, you know, it, it's it, it, we're, we're seeing it on, on both sides here. You're seeing kind of the um, customer side in Justin. You're seeing the vendor side in, in, in Rebecca. I mean, what Justin's trying to drive, retention, <clears throat> knowledge sharing, improvements, you know, to the business in the end, of, of, of all those things, communications is really just kind of the mechanism to drive all of those things. It feels like it really, it feels like if, if there's a gap, it's that the thing that is being reached out to you is just help me communicate. Well, realistically, they're really trying to ask you, help me to retain knowledge and build a better connected workforce. And and they're coming to you with a comms request, but they're really, that's the tip of the spear to an HR request. For sure. And, it's a, and, a, and a talent management request. And we've been evolving that conversation to about, uh, you know, it's about the digital experience. What is your employee experience um, and how can we help improve it with um, with a digital tool? Yeah. Hey, it's uh, Guy Batista. Hello, everyone. Hello, folks. How you doing? Hey, um, doing good. Yeah, no, I've, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's my Game of Thrones Christmas weather. So it's what I wear every year. So... Tis the last season is what it says. There you go. Nice. <laughs> is this a good time um, to, to, to ask you? Because I, I, I am very curious, and I was going to say this question for later. What is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? Oh, um, if I'm alone, Die Hard. If I'm with my wife, Love Actually. <laughs> That's absolutely a key answer. <laughs> um. Yeah, so so no, you, you you solidly also land on, because this could be a whole podcast by itself, but in your mind, Die Hard Christmas movie. Oh, hands down. Yeah, there's no question in that one, Frank. I, I actually question that, but okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it, so. What? what? Yeah, I knew this would, I knew this would. Rob, how did you get her on the pod? She's never watched Die Hard. You know, so. Well, you get to make the decision then. Is it a Christmas movie or not? Go watch it, come back, report. Yeah, um, it'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just yeah. I just called my own action item that I need to go watch Die Hard immediately. <laughs> and not with the kids. Um, I won't. <laughs> depends on their age. Seven, they might begin to the point where they should watch it. You know? No, they're 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 far too young. <laughs> Becky, what's what is your uh, your go to Christmas movie? Oh, I have to say that it is um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's just, uh, you know. That's old school. Really that's a good classic. Hilarious. A classic. But I do love um, I do love a Christmas story as well. So, yeah. And then there's, Rob, like, you know, there's lots of kid ones, too. So, <laughs> Rob, how about you? 
Oh gosh. You know what? It it was definitely a Christmas story for year after year. Um Elf has grown on me. And I think that was a sleeper hit. Totally. Right? I I don't think it it I don't think it rocketed when it first first came out, but uh yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll bring that out from time and again. Although I did introduce it to my kids a little bit too early. And it's like, ooh, I got to pull that back and uh, have them just yes. watch Frosty and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I've done that on a couple things at this oh, point. Oh, that Frosty, Rudolph, Red-Nosed Reindeer thing, that's a little dark too, you know? I mean, being kicked out of the house. I mean, that's 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 troubling. It, it's old school. I kind of, yeah. I, I, I don't mind it's that. Bi- old school in a biblical kind of way. You know? <laughs> a little bit. Cover up that be, nose. You will be cast out. <laughs> Nobody gets turned into a pillar of salt, but other than that, you know, or a puddle of water, as in yeah. frosty, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. I also exactly. love the the animated Grinch. Speaking of old classics, that's you know, that's not really a movie. It's I think about thirty minutes, but like the animated Boris Karloff. Yeah, that. Yeah, that was a Christmas Eve movie that we always have on. That's what's on the background Christmas Eve. Kids are watching. Yeah, it's a great one. I, I I happen to love Bad Santa, the director's cut, which if you ever watch, light a candle for your soul first, because it's um <laughs> it, it goes to some terrible places. I love you specifically said the director's cut. You know, <laughs> it makes me wonder. <laughs> you have to ratchet it up a notch. Yeah, um, as if you needed that, but yes. <laughs> that's funny. How about turning it back to uh, work here? Um, Becky, who's on your naughty and nice list for work technology or whatnot for 2023? Ooh, okay. Um, well, <laughs> my my nice list, uh, we, we actually have begun, uh, I know this is another hot topic probably, uh, we've actually begun integrating with our, our new platform, our new Flex platform uh, with AI and um, customers are loving it really really loving it some of the content generation so they're on my nice list uh from one perspective we're integrating with chat gpt but open ai has been on the naughty list at the moment um <laughs> i think it's been you know uh pretty expected i think uh that that there was going to be some some upheaval and turmoil but i think looking at the news over the last few weeks um yeah i'd like to see a little bit more representation on their board like to see um yeah just some just some changes i won't go into too much detail there but i would say from a functionality perspective from the ability to make some of the like rote memory tasks a little bit easier or how did i do that again um you know ai's got an awesome place uh good you know good spot on the nice list but yeah some business practices and some tightening some things up in terms of how we're how we're doing work i think uh Bit, bit of the naughty list there so yeah that was definitely game of thrones oh. uh the last few weeks <laughs> Gee, so good transition there game of thrones how about how about yeah. yourself naughty or nice yeah uh wow good question you know for me the uh the naughty list is probably going to be uh return return to office efforts but not for why you would think mm, um okay. i have been seeing you know, this trend where for uh, almost a decade, uh, the industry made some decent progress uh, in convincing office places and workplaces that internets were not only nice to have, but necessary. 
Um, and we invested a lot in strategy and making sure that the internet was uh, really an essential part of how people worked inside the office and communicated, even though you might be right next to the person you need help from, right? The knowledge is still uh, in this place where it's being retained. Um, during the pandemic years, we saw this violent shift where everyone just needed a place to store content uh, and communicate, something we were just talking about a second ago, um, right? Which to me is, is more um, a cry for help than anything else, to help with communications, to help. That's more of a help me reduce the chaos. And that chaos, I think, is coming from, um, you know, strictly from the COVID era where people are just like, give me something where people can get to their stuff while they're at home, right? Mm. I don't need strategy. I don't need consulting. I just need a thing where I can drop all my stuff and people can get to it. Now that we're coming back out of that, people are coming and saying, help me with all the chaos I created two years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, help me, help me structure it again. Um, but because of the return to office efforts, um, that strategy piece has kind of fallen by the wayside, right? We're no longer seeing the benefits of an internet inside the office. We're almost, we almost, you know, um, took a couple steps back and now have to reconvince um, the space that these are necessary tools that will actually improve the workplace, whether you work in an office or not. Mm. Um, we struggled with that a lot this year. Um, there are a lot of people who started out, let's do this, let's get an internet, and then came back and said, you know, we have other things that are taking priority. And a lot of things were, you know, returning to office uh, directly or indirectly. So that's definitely kind of a minoritiness, not because people shouldn't return to the office, but because it's, indirectly kind of, um, you know, taking the spotlight off of something that I think uh, is important, right? Uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at. Um, on a nice list, you know, it's, I won't say it's nice, but it, I'm very curious as to what will happen. And it's along what, uh, what Becky was talking about, it's AI, right? I mean, that's been, uh, that's been sort of the, uh, the term of the year, I think. Uh, everyone um, uh, who's in this industry has taken a crack at it, um, some to, you know, better success than others. Um, I think this is one of those things where, uh, you know, we are way ahead of where we should be. Everyone was just kind of like, I have an AI tool. And it's like, what does that really mean? And our customers <laughs> don't know what it means. And yeah. partners don't really know what it means. But we're selling it. Um, and and we're, we're trying our best, right? So, it's on the nice list in the sense that I am optimistic about what we can do with it and the power there. Um, but I'm also, uh, I'm very cautiously optimistic about it. If that are, are, are you curious? I'll go, Justin, I'm, I think you should probably answer this question. I'm, I'm kind of curious from your viewpoint what the naughty and nice list is. Um, I do think Guy makes a really interesting point. We spent 10, 15 years convincing people they could work from anywhere and uh, and then we proved that during the pandemic and we proved that it was successful and that was you could deliver just as much. And now it's this quick. Everyone get back to the office. It's, it's, it's an interesting. It's paradox. I, I, I don't know. Right. You know, of OK, we what what did we miss uh, in the pandemic of not being in the office together? Uh, anyway, it's it's interesting. Uh, in terms of the the naughty naughty list, uh, it's very similar. Uh, I'm really anxious uh, about and we uh, that the chat GPT or, or G large language models, generative AI. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, probably a little different perspective from you all. Like we can't really use it yet uh, here in the workplace. Um, 
enterprise search is another big one on my naughty list. I, you know, we still struggle with, with doing that. Um, uh, you know, in my podcast, we talk about having data and a lot of different data sources still, uh, and can't find any of it. So, and, and, and every one of those vendors are now trying to say that we'll add AI to the search to go quote unquote, make it better. Yep. Yep. And, and all the digital places tools, they're all doing the same thing. Uh, but you don't, th those aren't things you just connect. Right. Yeah. And, and it's still struggling to provide value. You know, with, with the AI it's the hallucinations and all the other things that go along with it. I mean, Rob, you and I have done some cool playing with AI and uh, got some cool hallucinations out of it. Um, so like finding the value in AI, I mean, we've been doing uh, large language models and we've been doing um, um, a machine learning for a long, long time, right? In, in terms of processing and, and doing things. So that's not necessarily a new concept, but bringing it together to, to more of the, the public is, is really the, the new piece there of driving the business value of pointing it to my data Right. Trusting that these systems can point to my data and it be secure, but then also getting honest answers out of it that I can trust and not have to verify. Like like there's still a huge gap of getting to a place where I can take a generative AI, point at my data and trust the model, the math, the, the decisions, the requirements that come out of that yeah. without having to do the work against it. Like a lot of work to be done there and all that so although it's doing some cool things doing some code refactoring taking some old code from 20 years ago and uh, spitting out some new python like it's great at that but actually doing it with our data that we can then synthesize against like it's it's that's that i would say that's still probably my uh my naughty list there is so 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 rapidly then is it a case that you trust ai you trust large language models and I think the same thing probably applies to, I mean, the same question to, to Rebecca and to Guy. Do you trust these new tools if there are silos around them? And obviously there are problems with silos, but you, you trust them only, because right now, I mean, let's be honest with you. This is like bacon is to a fast food menu. Everybody just says, now with bacon, and then they, they think it's a new product. It's not the, it's the same product. It's just got a slice of bacon on it. We're hearing the same thing from every software vendor. There's like, we now have AI, but nobody knows what that means. Do you trust a large language model if you can have a well-defined box that it operates in, Justin? Like, it, you know, around these set of documents, it'll do these things like Python code refactoring, for example. Uh, yeah, so if, if you, if, if the, if the, if the language model, the, the machine learning was a part of the software package and it was enclosed, right, and it wasn't reaching out to the public, then I, from the security perspective, you, we would trust that a little bit more. Uh, you have to do a lot of testing, right, and, and a, lot of, a lot of validating. Okay, I asked the question. This is the answer that came back. With human eyes and human intelligence, is that right, right? And you would have to just to evaluate to, before you could really trust it. Um, you know, using it into where it, it uh, human life is dependent upon it. I mean, we're a real long ways away from anything like that. Um, but from right now, trusting it from the security standpoint, like we're not going to use anything that's hitting the uh, the public uh, version, right? Well, and you know, Frank, to this point, and I think that this kind of again continues to kind of dovetailing with some of the woes that we've seen in the partner space at least uh in 2023 where um 
you know, I trust it with an asterisk, right? I mean, you, you talk about having this box around it. Um, yes, if we can have that box around it, but who's designing that box? Uh, do they know how to design it? Do they know what they're building around it? Um, and because, <clears throat> excuse me, the way we're selling AI, uh, at least largely in this space in digital workplace is, hey, don't worry about having set it up. It's just, it, like you said, it's the slice of bacon, right? You put it on there, it'll just make things taste better. You don't have to do anything to it, right? It'll just make things better. And that level of just, to Justin's point of, you know, blind trust and faith in it uh, is not good, right? I still think that that consulting around it to say, well, let's make sure that we're designing our content management structures, our document management structures correctly. Let's make sure that we are designing information architecture and security procedures correctly, right? So that AI can do not only what the you know, leverage it correctly, but also do the right and secure thing is where we're really kind of missing the mark, right? That's where I don't trust. I don't trust ourselves to, to take that responsibility on, if you will, right? Yeah. We haven't done a good job of, of saying there's still work to be done here, even though it's AI and it can do a lot for us. There's still work that we need to do on our end. We haven't done a good job of, of saying that part because it doesn't sound good to sell it that way, right? Here's this wow. great new tool. You have a lot of work to do. But you, it'll, it'll help you once you do it. You set up the question to Rebecca now. Now that now that we've got the two, you know, the customer saying uh, they're yeah, but and the partners are saying yeah, but we turn to the software vendors. How do you handle the yeah buts, Rebecca, when they're like because they do want AI, but do you give it to them or what caveats do you couch when people come to you saying can you add AI into the product? Yeah. Uh... I think that that it is definitely something that we have to have a POV on and we do and we do feel like that there is a ton of opportunity in what AI can offer and it is a bit of a yeah but like yeah I can offer a lot but we need to be clear on what we're doing or what we're using it for and again it sort of goes back to that conversation about ROI what are you trying to get out of it for me like if I was a digital workplace manager I'd want help you know with my analytics I'd want to I'd want synthesis or perspective or, you know, just a, a breakdown. There's a ton of information and metrics. I need to govern this thing. I need to put dollars behind the right mechanisms to make it a success. Help me out here. Um, I think that there are certain tasks, again, like finding things, you know, uh, uh, performing simple, fast tasks that take longer than they need to. Um, AI can be really powerful, but then what's that doing? It's, again, it's freeing up my time to do other, you know, higher order thinking kind of um, activities, or um, it's giving me new perspective on something that I was approaching it differently. And, you know, this model is saying that I should look at it this way or put my money here or invest in that. Um, so I think that, again, you know, your point, Frank, earlier of like having some parameters and some very clear kind of marching orders for what do we need intelligence to do for us is really where you need to start from. And right now it's such a buzzword and everyone's racing to be able to say that they can do it. Um, you know, we're just finding the, maybe the path of least resistance in some organizations to say, yeah, we've got AI, but like what value is it actually providing? And is it worth that level of, um, you know, if there's risk associated with it, is it worth it? And what is that level of risk? We, there's a lot to learn, but it's exciting. You know, I think that that we're figuring something absolutely mammoth out um, and it's going to be a lot of opportunity. We just need to do it in the right way. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I think, the interesting and, part. And I will say one thing, one last thing on this is um, 
the, the machine learning part and, and the the action of what's going on behind the scenes, because a lot of that technology has been happening for a while. I think the, the promise is the natural language part of it, right? Of allowing the average person to interact with their systems and or data, knowledge, information using natural language, right? I think in, instead of having to know the right search term or Boolean search or all these other things, uh, in kind of cryptic fashion of being able just to have a conversation and get closer to uh, what they're looking for. I think that's kind of the big promise of something as implementer looking for. How, how can I help my people not have to learn new IT stuff, right? But just be human and get closer to with whatever system or so, tool. That so it sounds, it sounds, Justin, that you're literally saying just be able to take this person speaking in human language and break it down into proper long tail search terms, meaning search and pipeline or thing, and just drive them 80% of the way into the right system. And that for you becomes a win? Yeah, like I mean, okay. definitely initial win. There are other promises that we can work on validating. Yeah, from. yeah. but but that that by itself is a is a use case that, that uh, okay, this is that point in the podcast, we should probably just say action item. and. Um, <laughs> awesome rob i forgot what the next question or topic was that we had out here i actually um i'm gonna have to drop in a sec if that's uh... okay. yeah well, this is a good side boy ladies and gentlemen i do have, as well have to drop for my own meeting Excellent. Well, I'm really happy that the two of you could join, chime in here. I know this is uh, an informal podcast that we're having around the digital workplace, but it's a great way to end the season. So to the two of you, happy holidays. And again, appreciate you coming on to the work grid. Absolutely. To you too. Happy holidays, guys. Thank you. So Frank, what about you? Naughty or nice? What's on your uh... list? You know, honestly, my list is a lot is, is very close to geese. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, 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 my naughty list is AI. My <laughs> AI is both on the naughty list and on the nice list. Okay. On the naughty list for I, I look at things like you know, look all the same things that 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 case of the Samsung engineers who you know put the notes on the new phone out into the world by using Chat GPT for things. Um, uh, uh, some of the hallucinations that have popped out of regenerative AI that people have gone out and uh, put into the world. Uh, you know, there was the case of the lawyer who wrote a brief that was pure make-believe based on open AI, you know, a number of college kids have been thrown out. I mean, that is naughty, naughty, naughty. And, 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 and for every one of those cases we've caught, we know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of them that weren't caught where somebody just took it, put it in and they've gotten away with it so far. Um, the nice list on the other hand is if there is the opportunity to go, th um, <clears throat> dig through data and find answers, I think mm. it's very interesting. Um, uh, yeah. So, so uh, the, the, and, and the ability to add AI to products is also very interesting. I, I think the question we're going to roll into in this market is, um, 
ServiceNow is going to want to add in AI and Workday is going to want to add in AI and Microsoft's going to add in AI and SAP is going to add in AI. And uh, much like the world was before APIs existed, everybody yeah. is going to insist the way that you, you best interact with the AI is go into their user interface and type your question in there. And the question will eventually become, how do, how do I make a decision on this question needs to go to that AI versus this AI. And then amid all that, there's all the things that Justin's dealing with, which is probably we have our own document repository and we have our own, um, if not proprietary AI, but an AI model that we brought on our own and we're targeting them at our own binaries, you know, exclusive of a piece of enterprise software. And where does that come into the mix? So the, the governance and rules of the road yeah. um, need to be sorted out and, um, what I am seeing is that right now IT budgets are, this is like network capacity was in, That's in the right. early two thousands. You know, I, I don't care. I just need bandwidth. Go buy me some bandwidth. I'm going to go put it on a shelf when I need it because everybody needs to go get it. And I'm going to go get as much of it as I can. I don't even know what it is, but yeah. same thing with AI. I'm going to just go grab every tool I can and then throw it on the floor and figure it out. Um, the other, uh, the other naughty list, I think I, I, I'm. Um, we talked about it a little earlier, but uh, I'd, I'd put Microsoft on there. Uh, I think Microsoft has caused a lot of churn in the market. Pilot, uh, Graph, Teams, um, they are obviously part of the open AI story and, and have injected themselves in. Um, they're naughty in so much that they're a big player and they cause disruptions in the market. And the question is, can they do the things that they say are coming or is that are the things they are representing as here really directional and there are they only here if i go and put an immense amount of consulting around it which is viable for some large 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 companies but mm. maybe not everybody um and then i think the other final naughty one and and i think justin was right on uh, early on when he said is is kind of return to work and hybrid. Um, I think we have, we are often talking about it as a, you need to be at work two days a week or three days a week. And we're talking about it as a mandate and we are not talking about it as because we want to build a cohesive organization. We want you to like working here. We want you to like the people you work with. We want to uh, create, um, a, you know, a strong fabric of connection within the company. None of those things are being communicated. Mostly it's being, right. you know, we need you in the office. The outcome is the number of days yeah. that's desired yeah. as opposed to, yeah, we're truly going to try to develop group cohesion yeah. across our organization yeah. to build a better culture. But yeah. your your measure or metric is, hey, are you physically present for X number of days? And that's the wrong way to get there. If that you're truly your goal is culture, group, collaboration, et cetera. Yeah. yeah what, I, I, go ahead, Justin. I'd just say just to, to double down on that and what I'm seeing and talking to, to peers uh, all over the place it is we are... Uh, we are not communicating the value and the purpose of that, right? So it uh, goes back to our strategy days, right? Strategy consulting days of uh, what's the why, right? 
So uh, we're not, we're, we're telling people you got to come here these, these days, but we're not doing a good job of connecting to the why or, or encouraging or motivating or giving people the license to do the behaviors that may not look as technical task delivery, but to do that culture building, right? We're not, we're not setting the example of we want you to spend time every week or month in a community of practice outside your direct organization or your project uh, and to grow those relationships. Like, and, and it's okay if that's a lunch, right? Yeah. Outside of the building. And so I think going back to simple strategy and proper communication from top down of this is the expectation we have for these reasons is, is really missing. So should return to work come with a calendar mandate? Meaning if you are in the office for eight hours or, or 16 hours a week, let's say, no more than eight of that should be on a Zoom call. And maybe eight hours has to actually include human to human interaction of some sort. Like, because here's the thing, everybody is back in the office, but they are doing the same behavior. They might be packing a whole lot of meetings in, but is there, should return to work come with, if you're in the office two days a week, don't spend the day on Zoom with somebody else and don't spend the day digging out of your inbox. Find a way to create, um, you know, the magic of actually making new connections somehow. So tacit learning opportunities, networking, mentoring to what Justin had previously yeah. stated. Do we, as block a, the, do we block the calendar for networking? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess seeing some of those motions in action many years ago, it still was focused too much on the metric of, okay, are you present there? So, you know, I'll throw up my naughty list. My naughty list is absolutely returned to work. Um, as someone who's worked remote for well over um, well no almost ten years now at various different companies, um, but naturally on the road quite a bit um, and leading teams globally who were as well remote, um, I think it comes down to the managers. So if you're going to call people back to the office, put that on the directors, put that on the managers to best situated on their team, but not giving a day or hour outcome like. What can my part of the organization, so federate that ownership and that strategy, to connect, collaborate? So when I led pre-sales, it would have been more about, okay, are there opportunities for us to connect with our internal resources or our team itself at moments? It's not going to be returned to office for two, three times a week. Perhaps that's where we meet, we collaborate, we connect on best practices once a quarter, but that's in person or connecting with our AEs at moments in time that make the most sense. But it shouldn't have to end up being a mandate on time. It should be on the quality of the relationships, the learning, the strategy, the et cetera. Yeah. So what I find really common uh, is a lot, a lot of our management practices are fairly outdated. Uh, and so some of these making these these decisions are uh, not well equipped with with connecting the outcome and the behavior mm. or even just motivating people like that oftentimes isn't a thing that we do. It, we make sure that you're delivering on your task, but that's making sure you're out of, you're in the office, out of the office, vacations, all that stuff. 
but we but when it comes to just to, to encourage, cheerlead, motivate, I still find that a, a, a rare uh, a rarity with a lot of managers. And again, not just mm -hmm. speaking to my organization, but just in general, sure. my experience. Okay. And then also too, we're not teaching uh, new employees, and they're not getting it in school about how to do knowledge management, how to do how to mentor, how to seek that out, how how to how to work in the workplace. Like we teach them facts, and it might be science or math or business or whatever, but we don't teach the, the culture building, the humanity side of it well, and so. <laughs> There's this big, huge disconnect, and people show up, and then they just they just repeat bad behavior over and over and over again. In in in, in fairness, Justin, they never taught somebody my age how to TikTok or how to kind of relate relate to the to the portion of the um, workforce that primarily works through a phone phone. I mean, so I don't think it's necessarily even just the people who are in school. Those of us who are on the back end of our work careers probably have to understand how to relate to the yeah to the new world too yeah yeah you, yeah. you bet uh and, and so we just we don't take time for those things we don't talk about them uh, and the same thing is true with even my own kids right uh and and um you know they they, they grow up with these things and so i have to change my perspective right and even just in, in, engage with my own kids and parenting them and to you know, understand the times. It, it takes hard work to change and to be different and to accept ideas that aren't your own necessarily. And so I think we have to be more purposeful just in general as humans. And I think we kind of see a lot of that out of COVID and, and out of the pandemic as well. Uh, and then I don't think social media necessarily helps a lot there, but I think all that spills over into the workplace. And so there's just massive disconnects across the different uh, generations, right? Gen Z, millennials, Gen X, uh, the baby boomers that are still here. Like there's just, there's a lot of difference and even just mindsets that I think we can go a long ways of, you know, being more open to having honest conversations around those things. And that ties directly to how we use technology. Like, like it's not just esoteric over here. Like it, those conversations really drive into how we're going to do knowledge management and how we're going to have meetings and where we're going to sit when we work. Like, like there's a direct correlation to those two things. Yeah, yep, yep. It's funny though because it turns into a situation where um, we're having these conversations about the human experience, and what the human experience needs to be. The action item to action that though we hand it over to technology teams who boil it down to, I need this tool, this tool, this tool, hmm. and then I will drive price points. It's driven by technology require. We lose the human requirements someplace yeah. in the process of technology acquisition. Yeah, you yeah. bet. Yeah. And, and then, and if we do deliver a, a technology that works well, we, we lose the, the human aspect and the human design part of it, right? The or, or, we de, or we demand that the human fit the technology as opposed to the technology fitting the human, yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'd say I'll come back to the list. On my nice list, my nice list would have to be the, uh, this is a shameless plug, the, uh, the new WorkRid AI assistant. So that ubiquitous nature of a digital assistant, being able to connect to all your source systems, your LMs, et cetera. Um, but if I go with kind of like the unfiltered version there, 
the reason why it's on there is the fact that I see with the trend of AI that's going to be baked into every single system, collaboration portal, SaaS application, if you will, um, it's going to be application overload. It's going to be app sprawl the same way. You're, why has enterprise search never really worked? Well, it hasn't worked because it things don't play nice with one another. And then the poor employee has to then still go hunt around and peck for things. I think it'll be the same way with the use of AI into all those various SaaS applications. So if a single source isn't acting as a broker dealer to those relationships of those AI services, well, then, you know, there, there's going to be still you spending time grinding against those experiences. So I think our stance and our play in terms of being truly ubiquitous and agnostic to those systems um, is a differentiator outside of the fact that we're also bringing in the proactive notifications, nudges to help to guide you to what's uh, most important as opposed to reactive and waiting for you to prompt and nudge the, uh, the chat bot to provide you with any sort of value. Yeah, I agree with that. Honestly, from the uh, the integration standpoint, that's you're spot on with that, Rob. Yeah, Rob. I mean, I I think we've um, we've seen it coming. I, I think we all know it's it, the interesting thing is that uh, we're we're talking about situation that is we can all see it coming. Mm. Um, uh, and and I, I think from our perspective, uh, since we're not a source system, um. We're well positioned to to deal with it because we don't we don't we don't have a we're not ServiceNow hoping that you keep your policies in ServiceNow as opposed to Workday. Hmm. Um, the challenge is going to become that every one of those uh, technology is still acquired by people who own source systems typically. Yeah, and that's that's the real big that that is the big challenge. Yeah, and those yeah. budgets, right? Of having to integrate, you know, having those budget conversations across organizations. Right. This is my system because it does it helps me get my job done in my organization. Yep. Uh, you have to take a step back from that. And that's what I was kind of hitting on earlier is having that strategy at an executive level of driving that integration across business units to encourage people to kind of give up a little bit of their kingdom mm -hmm. uh, to, to make this happen. And yeah, um, you know, from your viewpoint, because I mean, NASA is a massive organization with a massive amount of data and a lot of systems. Um, have you guys made any progress to, how do you guys um, work through that process of trying to span across, I mean, mountains of data, uh, mountains of systems, interoperability, you know, and private sector, public sector, defense sectors. Um, what do you guys do to, to, to try and um, um, encourage breakdowns of silos where possible? Um, well, I'll answer not just for NASA, but just in general, it starts with leadership, right? Yeah. You have to have a leader driving the initiative and encouraging, motivating, or sometimes forcing that behavior to happen. Um, and so without that, it's not going to happen, right? You're going to continue to have your sprawl. You're going to continue to have your pet projects, your pet software, um, people are going to, by nature, want to continue to do what they've always done uh, and serve themselves as an organization and accept the least amount of risk as possible or to, to deliver as fast as they can for themselves. 
So you have to have leadership to drive and have an, an architect who is aware of the business and aware of the technology and able to merge those two uh, gaps. Uh, an architect, so a, a practitioner who can go kind of pull the things together. Yeah, but a technology. practitioner with a mandate from above to go and take power, take a little bit of power from some people and force people to play nice together. Yeah, you're never going to get four organizations to agree on, or come to the same conclusion on what, what's, what's the best solution, right? So this goes back to my comment earlier. It takes a lot of negotiation, a lot of relationship building, and a lot of leadership to drive that synergistic uh, decision, right? This mm -hmm. is best for the business uh, and have an understanding of ROI. There's technical trade-offs. There's uh, uh, po policy trade-offs. There's uh, human side trade-offs like we have to make in these decisions. Um, and so I think that's essential, right? So that when it comes to AI, generative AI, large they're all the same. Right. We're, we're going to and, and if we're going to have a centralized place where all of our AI stuff goes or our machine learning stuff goes, um, you know, just like an enterprise search, what what is our knowledge management? What is our metadata structure? Like those things still apply. Right. Those, those aren't going to go away with with any kind of generative AI like it can get better, <clears throat> but you still have to have good data architecture or systems integration architecture like to make sure our systems talk together. Right. For those systems to talk together effectively, you have to have the relationships in place across those various stakeholders. And I guess this has come back to one of your earlier points, Justin, is the fact that that mentoring, that cross-functional collaboration, connection, relationship building, that's uh, that's key. That's key to making all of those downstream effects work. Yeah. So we've been working on some enterprise search uh, pilots and activities and things. And and it is using all those buzzwords to make the search experience better, right? Across mm. multiple data sources. But you still run into our thing, and he didn't get to make it today, but our friend Sean Slattery, right, talks about uh, all the time of uh, knowledge foraging, right? And yeah. uh, and knowledge scent. And so, like, if you're hunting, right, hunting for that rabbit, and you're going down that journey, how do you know you're getting closer to what you're looking for? And that gets into good old basic principles of file naming convention and metadata and folder structures and all of those very simple non-technical things uh, that we can make some um, poor decisions on by just by throwing a document in a SharePoint site or a Google Drive with a poor file name or in the wrong folder and we can cause other people a lot of harm and or, or, or inability to find that information. So yes, these new fancy buzzwords can make it easier by OCR in the document or optical character recognition, all that right. other stuff. Like those things can help. But if I get, if I do a search and I get back 65 documents, how do I know which one of those 65 documents is the right one that I need? That's, we're still a long ways from having a place where, uh, and, uh, where that is, I can, again, go back to trust. I can trust that. Mm -hmm. And if I do trust that, what if I don't have access to the 35 other systems over here? Yeah. Right. 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 Or if the, if you do have access, but search didn't index it. Yeah. Yeah. That's even worse. Yeah. 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 
So, so he, but, but enterprise search is on is on my my nice list, right? I I I would I see wait lot. after all that, wait that's on your nice list nice list yeah. <laughs> I see as nice list because I see promise. Ah, oh. okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I do see the, those buzzwords: the generative AIs, the You're language. You're grading them on a curve. <laughs> I see those things helping, right? I, it's getting better. So you're seeing some daylight in that space where it yeah. could. Okay, that's good to yeah. hear. Yeah, that's yeah. very promising. You might be the first specifics. person to put enterprise search on the nice list. I'm just saying. For promise, right? Because of these <laughs> other technologies, spent the last hour talking about because of the promise that I see, and it's the first time I've really seen some progress, right? And wow. I won't talk about any specific vendors, but there are some vendors that are doing some good things uh, with the products that are making them more user friendly, right? And uh, excellent. That's kind of the theme of what I've talked about today, right? It's about the people side, the user uh, usability side. So that's 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 good. So, so let me play devil's advocate a little bit if we go into the search thing, because I, I, it's funny, I was talking to a company a couple of months ago and they, are, uh, they have a particular function that has done a really good job of building policies, documents, and um, they've got the topology and tagging uh, and they've got, uh, it, it's specialized binaries and documents and the, the product that they're storing it in is particularly tuned to go and get the relevant information out of this mountain of data. Mm -hmm. And it's their search, that, that search in that product does the right thing and gets to the right answer for, for that stack. But that is one of six, seven, eight stacks of information in the company. And the company is standardized in Microsoft, so they want everything inside SharePoint. Mm -hmm. How do you answer back that application owner who for what they are asked to execute against can do a really good job in getting users answers from that mountain of data when you type into their little search bar but it's got to be inside their particular tool how do you answer when they are told well don't no, take what you're doing and put it into sharepoint when they know it's going to be not as performant and not work as well, like what's the, is there a negotiation? Is it centralized or do we have to have decentralized and then rules? Like, how do you, how do you, um, what to store where? Is that where you're headed, Frank? Yeah, because, 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 because I, because I, I do, I do think the architect at the center has to go kind of in the end traffic cop. But oftentimes the decision is, well, we're going to standardize on this one tool and we will put everything here so the search will work here. Because everything is here, so there's going to be no questions about uh, about unknown silos, and it'll index everything, and it'll trim for security on everything. But it doesn't necessarily search tables the same way as this other tool, and it doesn't search CAD drawings the same way as this other tool, and it doesn't search um, index into financial or scientific documents the way that these tools do. Hard question, Justin. I but I guess how do we if, if if we were to go put that centralized thing, how do we how do how do we how do we square that circle? Well, <clears throat> if you just point at the data, what's that going to to give you? You know, uh, probably, probably not much, 
right? Yeah. It feels, you'd have to almost point at the search from that other, from that source. Yeah. So you take, we say we take the enterprise search and point it to this new data set. It still takes uh, development time and or additional uh, code for the machine learning piece or the, the, the data mapping piece. Like, like when you develop these enterprise searches, it still takes a lot of configuration to make it meaningful. And so when the results we come back, they go back and fit into the, the results page. And so uh, you know, I, don't, I don't think there's a really clean answer of how you'd make that happen. It, it just takes a lot of work to, to synthesize the data sets, to map them and to get them and so maybe it's creating different pages for different business units you know based on personas like there's there's ways you can kind of configure that to make that happen but i don't think there's ever going to be a one size fits all essentially mm -hmm. um for enterprise search with varying data types like you're never going to get your binaries and your your financial data which is just numbers yeah. really in the same result back that you are your your office documents like they're probably never going to be in the same search yeah experience. yeah i mean other than a law firm that's only dealing in documents for example yeah. and even that's arguably yeah. not true can you now, come I, put everything in one think, big pool i do think there is an there's an opportunity of some kind of i'm going to use the term data lake generically right mm -hmm. uh but of, of centralizing your data into at least an ecosystem that you can then have different business, different functions, different capabilities like your your visualizations, um, that are keying off that data. So at least I'm centralizing. I'm I'm making my permission and my accessibility that component easier. I'm increasing visibility. Hey, you don't have access to this, but let me give you a hat tip that there's a whole other universe over there that you don't have access to, and here's some names you can reach out to. I think those are the kind of activities that really would provide a lot of enterprise value. Because uh, right now, even if you use any of the big solutions, right, your Microsoft, your Googles, any of them, um, you're still we've we've just shifted the silos, right? Or we've we've put some lipstick on the pig and making the silos a little bit pretty, prettier and easier. But I still have a lot of unique permissions all over the place. Like like as I increase flexibility of collaboration, I also increase uh, the opportunity to have poor data architecture and have more security risk and have more silos, right? So there's this massive collaboration and flexibility is good, but it also creates a lot more problems more easily, right? And the, 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 the errors, right? I accidentally shared this document with people I shouldn't or I have it locked down when I shouldn't. Well, that also affects your enterprise search downstream. So I think just getting into it, our data closer to an environment where I do a better job of orchestrating, right, the business and the data and helping people what's around you. I think that's where we where we see a lot of our value. Amen. I agree with that. Yeah. Anyway. Excellent. So I think we've we probably reached a good point to uh, to close out the podcast. But before we go, uh, Justin, I wanted to uh, know, what is your uh, favorite holiday tradition for you and your family? Real simple, man. Uh, going and getting a tree. Uh, we, 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 week after Thanksgiving, we all get 
bundle up in I'm in Alabama. It's not that cold. But bundle yeah, up, come on. <laughs> but still, we gotta have coats on, right? Uh, and we go to uh, yeah, we go to a, a tree farm. You know, trees been shipped down from the Carolinas, North Carolina, and we go pick out a tree. We decorate it. We do the real tree. You know, pick up needles for you know the next thirty days. Uh, but that's uh, that's probably my favorite favorite thing, right? Uh, throwing the tree on the top of the car, driving it home, having hot chocolate, and nice. Uh, spend nice. time with kids. Uh, after that, it just it's just chaos, right? Managing the chaos of, of the kids. Managed chaos. Frank, what about yourself? Uh, I, I am, uh, I, you know, so a couple of traditions that are unfortunate. Uh, one, uh, I don't start any holiday shopping till, uh, December 24th. Oh my God. Usually, usually at noon. Oh yeah. This is see the same, same couple guys. Uh, it's harder now because radio shack is gone, which used to be my go-to for everything. Um, so it's me and the same couple of people at Best Buy. Hey, saw you here last year. <laughs> um, uh, and then, uh, you know, um, we go back and forth between a couple of spots. So, um, it, it usually, uh, in Canada, especially big, big tradition on, on, uh, on, on boxing day, day after Christmas is, uh, all day hockey world juniors, which is kind of, uh, if it'd be the, um, hockey equivalent of, uh, you know, bowl day, uh, for, uh, for, for, for college football is uh, watching hockey all day and sometimes playing hockey all day. Excellent. And look who shows up. Hello. Hey. Hey, Sean. Sean It's a Sean Slattery sighting. (laughs) In the wild. We're actually curious if you're going to show up during the the cast. We had uh, Rebecca O'Reilly and uh, Guy Batista on about an hour or so ago, earlier on. So, Sean, we were just going into um, ho- favorite holiday traditions. <laughs> so, um, mine just happened. Uh, actually, it didn't happen this year. Uh, so, Thanksgiving, um, when my first wife and I first got together, you know, we were going to both families' households, one for Thanksgiving, one for Christmas, and then would swap and nobody's in town. So it was travel madness at both holidays. And we said, this can't continue. Uh, so we said, we'll alternate Christmases with families uh, away and Thanksgiving will be just the two of us here at home. And we order in the whole meal. Uh, so we don't cook anything. We just place our order, go pick it up the day before. Uh, spend the day in our pajamas and, and, and watch uh, movies. So it's a, a favorite tradition. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> gentlemen, I got a drop. Sean, it was good to see you for a brief minute. Good Welcome to overlap. To uh, but Rob and Frank really appreciate uh, the time and let me uh, gab for a few. Always good to yep. see your faces. Absolutely, Likewise, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. You guys are the best. Happy holidays. Cheers. Oh, well, look who shows up. It is Sean Slattery. Sean, uh, happy to see you here. Can you um, introduce yourselves to the fine folks at home and abroad? Sure. Uh, Watching uh, this most amazing podcast of all time. (laughs) 
Uh, Sean, Senior Solution Consultant at Tier 1 Performance. We are a uh, change management, learning, and communication uh, consulting firm, uh, about 400 strong throughout the U.S., uh, helping Fortune 500 companies with all sorts of, of uh, business and digital transformations. So, uh, great to see you both. I'm trying to think uh, anything else about my background. Worked with you for ten, my 10 years in the software industry. Um, where I led implementations, was a, a consultant, led professional services and customer success and a, a few overlapping companies with you too. Um, and then also a deep uh, background in, in change management. I'm an adjunct faculty member for Northwestern University's Masters of Science in Learning and Organizational Change. And I'm actually teaching a class starting in January. Oh, congratulations. You are, uh, it, it is kind of topical, you coming in at the, uh, we, we just had uh, Rebecca, Guy, and uh, Justin on earlier, and we ran through uh, Nadia Nice List uh, uh, for, for the digital workplace, and uh, I think two topics popped up, um, uh, which was, uh, number one, well, one of the uh, big naughty list was hybrid work, adapting to hybrid work, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty solidly on the naughty list. Yeah. Um, and then the That's other the one uh, was uh, AI in the workplace. But 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 I know that you definitely have a perspective on both. So let's start with uh, let, let's start let's start with 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 hybrid workplace. Okay. First question is: Is it naughty or nice? And um, what are your thoughts? Well, one does it belong on the list? And what are your thoughts about it in twenty twenty three? And and, and, and where it fits, because I think it's something you're working on a lot. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think it belongs on the list mostly for the handling of it. That's the naughty part. It's been okay. it's been fumbled uh, badly that it was such a get. And it was su it, the 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 pandemic transition to uh, emergency remote, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And then the the pivot. Um, kind of as vaccination became possible and things like that into hybrid garnered a lot of goodwill with the workforce. Um, but I, I frankly pin it on management, especially senior leadership discomfort with how to sustain that long-term or the broader organizational changes that still need to happen to really capitalize on the promise of hybrid work um, did not take place. And it, it, folks fell back on old habits and started to try to force um, you know, force back to work, which, so, which when, when, generated when talk, a lot of resentment. When you talk about old habits, like so some people are talking about how a, they are on their two days a week that they're coming into the office, one of which is almost always a Wednesday. Um, everybody is in the office, but they come in, they immediately jump on the screens and then have the same Zoom meeting or Teams meeting with the same set of people that they were doing it from the kitchen table on Monday and will be doing it on Friday. Is that a fail? Because some people would say that's a full successful rollout of Teams. The, the fail is in not accounting for purposeful co-location, meaning um, I, I work with a lot of globally distributed companies where it's not possible to physically get together. Um, mm -hmm. And so leveraging remote participation, just as we're doing now, 
makes in- engagement like this possible. So absolutely useful. But if you're going to ask people to come in, um, there ought to be good reasons to do so. And if you're trying to, it's two days a week and that sort of thing is, it, it's arbitrary. And if it's not lined up in any meaningful way, so somebody uh, I, I work with closely um, or you know, personal friend of mine uh, has a two-day on-site, but one of those days is an all-staff meeting. And so everybody kind of commits to coming in that day. Um, and that works out. So that's a, that's a team level norm that helps give meaning to why we bothered to show up. So if you're, and this kind of needs to happen at the team level and leadership needs to help teams structure these kinds of, when shall we be together? Or are there event-based things or are there population-based things? Let's go get all our new hires in on you know these particular days or once a month let's commit to being in so it's rather than i show up every tuesday because that's the day that works in my schedule and only half of anybody's there and everybody else is remote i'm on zoom or teams or whatever all day long anyway let's let's be purposeful about why we come together and when and who comes together to to drive value in that and make it worthwhile that's what's not been figured out or supported so translating the return to like a lot of times return to work, let's be candid with it, is driven by the fact that we have a building and we have to justify it existing. So we're gonna go put some bodies in it and fill the parking lot to a, a reasonable amount. And that's our justification. Translate it from a a real estate mandate to a talent retention or talent efficiency imperative. Is that what we're really kind of talking about? I mean, the, the talent efficiency and retention are the effects. The the purpose is meaningful collaboration. Like, you okay. know, what are we coming together to do and 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 for? And when is that most valuable in person? You know, workshop based things, planning activities, um, annual reviews. Like, th- there are many reasons that it's beneficial to to get together in, in person and for bodies to be in the same place. You know, it, it can be much more efficient to whiteboard something and, and it can uh, foster some goodwill to, you know, cater a lunch and, you know, bring folks in and, 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 you know, do, do some targeted activities. Mm -hmm. It's, it's figuring out what, why should, you know, groups of folks come together and let's put some intentionality behind bringing folks in so that the in-personness we're capitalizing on that. And then when we don't need to, we're capitalizing on the remoteness um, it's a lot of logistical challenge. I, uh, um, so that's the, the hard work that needs to be put in is what size space do we need and what's our capacity? And, if, you know, you're almost kind of running a, a restaurant at that point about like, mm-hmm. you know, party of 12 coming in, um, yeah. they're, they're scheduled at this time because they're running this workshop or this team is co-locating or, you know, Lots of little get-togethers because it's end of year review, and we want you know managers and direct reports meeting in person and blah blah blah. Like it 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 becomes that, but the value for coming in is not lost on employees, and and it's not uh, arbitrary, and and in office is not punitive. So from the perspective of technology, so, so sort of the same question. Um, a lot of what you've explained is really best practices and 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 change man like it, it's it's human factors how people should behave 
what technology is helping guide this and what is well or could is 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 technology getting in the way of this are we trying to fit ourselves to technology or is it tech is there are there technical approaches that actually encourage this i'm thinking yeah i mean this takes some thought i i think one of the things is the our ability to use all the remote collaboration technologies um be they synchronous like this or asynchronous like um chat and community-based platforms and, and, and those sorts of, of tools um, has, has made it easy to develop bad habits of, yep. of meeting planning uh, or interaction planning. It's so easy for you know, one person to, and, and, and it's helpful and flexible for some one person to dial in, you know, running the kid to school, I can join this meeting because I'm in transit, but I'm on the phone, I can't see the screen, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, especially through the pandemic, as folks really needed that flexibility. But now that folks can get together in person, I, I don't see a lot of intentionality or planning about let's all try to commit to this time and place. And then the things that don't matter, let it go. You know, we're not going to demand that you show up on Tuesday because that's your day if that's not when and how you can be most productive. Interesting. Uh, has have you been working on this for 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 quite some while some yeah. some time. In the same way that enterprises have enterprise security training, enterprise um um you know best practices training. Has anybody come to you and said, can you give us an enterprise remote our hybrid working learning module that everybody has to go take once a year, once every six months or something like that? <laughs> oh, I, uh, the answer is no. Uh, Should they? Love. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, be because there's a lot of opportunity to get back that goodwill that, that was gained through flexibility with how and when employees are, are connecting with one another and, and, and getting work done. So, you know, a lot of the, uh, I was reading an article the other day, like, well, you know, why is everybody frustrated? You know, unemployment's down. Uh, you only have to come in two days a week, whatever. And it's because there's been no, no good intentionality behind some of these, you know, how do we make the policy fit with value to the, the in-personness? And, and it, it's hard, like, you know, we're trying to be productive. We got a lot that we're trying to accomplish. When am I going to sit back and go? You know what? Let me completely rethink how and when I bring my team together. Yeah. Um, uh, so that reflectiveness, you know, really only comes kind of comes up it, one in projects or initiatives like you know, we're launching SAP and that you know we need a planning meeting or whatever and let's make that in person and all these other check ins or daily stand ups or whatever are best you know, accommodated remote and folks can dial in from the car, you know, whatever works for them. So it's, it's hard to feel the pressure, but I think that pressure is now widespread and high level that folks are like, you know, what are, what are people unhappy about? And, and like leadership is like, well, now it's three days a week and everybody has to commit. And, you know, so that's where the, the frustration is being expressed. So it's hard to turn that large um, 
amorphous frustration into a mandate for a project and a training for and a training program. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, the, the, the second thing that popped up on the naughty list and the, the naughty and the nice list was AI mm -hmm. in the enterprise. Now I, I'll confess something to you, Sean, when I, when I first started playing with chat GPT, uh, Rob and I were going back and forth and trying it and we were um, trying various experiments like uh you know, uh, explain um, Romeo and Juliet uh, as written by Dr. Seuss or something like that. Um, and I and I and I dug the text out, and I, it was something that we had tried. And I, and I said, you know, you know, this thing reads just like Sean Slattery talks. So, 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 qu question one: Like Dr. Are you Seuss? I, well, no, I not the Dr. Seuss one, but but, okay. but but we went through a bunch of them, and 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 they came out, and there's these long authoritative documents, and it boiled down things into a couple of bullet points. Uh, you know, and and then we read it and we thought, I think Sean Slattery is Chat GPT. So so first, <laughs> let's answer the first question: Are you Chat GPT? There's no real way to know. This box oh. that I'm in could be being <laughs> fake right now. This could just be, you know, really great. Um, uh, generative know, AI. AI. Yeah, generative yeah. AI and uh, uh, hours and hours of Slats GPT. <laughs> Slats GPT. <laughs> We should change that to his name here in the Zoom. Slats GPT. All right, um, on to a, a slightly more serious topic. Sure, sure. But but what what do you think? Where does AI in the workplace, especially in the digital workplace? So we're thinking about the internal use cases. Yeah. Naughty or nice? Does it have a place? Do we know what we're doing? Like where does it, on balance and where we are? December twenty two thousand twenty three. Yeah. Is it on the nice list or is it on the naughty list? It, it's it is on the nice it, list. It as opposed to you, because you're now saying it's not you. Right. But yeah, right. it. No, where I was gonna go with the naughty list was um uh chat GPT's board and the release of Sanal. Like there's <laughs> there, there are some people who should not get some toys. And I, I've seen a lot of the conversation about you know, you know why? Why do we we think he he was let go? And he he was part of a a large number of folks who signed on to warnings about how and why we need to be careful with this technology. Mm -hmm. So it could easily end up on the naughty list. Um, and in fact, actually, uh, as I think as I play out, you know what I'm about to say, um, it's on both lists. So, and yep. here's why, here's why. Um, where generative AI can be naughty is when it is adopted for, for uses and, and uncritically and not carefully reviewed and uh, looked over uh, or, or um, uh, you know, le legislated or, or managed, uh, you know, with some oversight because I'm trying to think of the law, if there's a, a forthcoming lawsuit where generative AI is making loan decisions mm -hmm. oh. and we recognize in its training data and in the, in the results of its decisions, um, patterns of, you know, implicit bias, inherent racism, yeah. you know, we, uh, all, all of the things that we, we see the headlines about. And so when it is, you know, kind of carelessly destroyed, uh, deployed and thoughtlessly deployed, you know, it can go that way. And, you know, commercial organizations are going to look for efficiencies where they can get them. And, and if they're not careful about them, there can be really 
bad social impacts. Mm -hmm. The on the on the nice list is the opportunity to automate some drudgery. Uh, as a knowledge worker who spends way too much time in PowerPoint, putting together slides and things like that, um, there are things where in my day-to-day -day work, I'm not. <laughs> There, there are hour cycles where I'm not generating much value because I'm moving pixels around or reading and summarizing information or things like that. So if I could be helped to be more efficient through some of those tasks and then thoughtful about how and when I use that technology and don't over rely on it as a crutch um, and, and not review the, you know, the portions of it that I farmed out to a generative AI, um, you know, if I'm not careful with it, I've gotten lazy, but if I'm careful with it, it can be a real efficiency gain. And so, and we're experimenting with that at tier one with early adopters and, uh, we have a, uh, kind of a alpha team, uh, experimenting with it and figuring out where and how it can help us as, as a consulting organization and, you know, where there are efficiency, efficiencies to be gained and where it does things that don't really help advance our and our clients, uh, you know, the value that we bring to clients. So I think it's through that experimentation. I really like that you two played with it first. And I think that's a very productive way to engage playfully at first to kind of get a sense of like, what is it? What can it do? What are its limitations? Let me kind well, of we found that it won't swear at us, which is also made it what it made us think it was you. Um. <laughs> John works clean. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, uh, I, you'll probably get this from, from me for both, you know, most things. It's like, well, there's a, there's, there's a naughty list portion of it. And there's a good, you know, nice list portion. of it. Do you, um, we are looking from your perspective right now, is it a land grab? Like are companies thoughtfully adopting it for the internal knowledge work workers exactly like you who need to synthesize documents, synthesize information, come to conclusions and then disseminate it. Is it being thoughtfully acquired for employees in companies or is it a land grab right now? I mean, what is your perspective on the introduction of it? I've seen both. I mean, the, the headline versions kind of reek of the land grab attitude yeah. of like, you know. Just go get me some I, AI. <laughs> go get me some AI and, and cut my knowledge worker workforce because the tech can do it instead of as opposed to with or augmenting my knowledge workers. Um, where I have seen, I, I have a client who deployed an internal version for themselves that's you know, securely locked down. It's only their data. Um, it came with its training data and then is using their internal data to train, but not sharing their company data with the training model. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a real danger. Um, so they've very carefully and thoughtfully brought this in. And um, I saw it used on a knowledge management uh, project where a lot of lessons learned, there was a lessons learned database that we were developing. And we grabbed that database and said, you know, synthesize this and, and tell us what you see uh, generative AI when you, you know, what themes emerge for you, because it's a lot of textual information that mm -hmm. is, labor intensive to go through and difficult to analyze systematically. But what this technology can do is identify patterns and things like that, that are tedious for a human to tease out possible, but labor intensive. Um, and it lined up with what we 
the team that were working on this knowledge uh, program, you know, felt we saw. So we, we saw an accurate and useful and helpful uh, deployment of, of generative AI inside a, a very large uh, pharmaceutical manufacturer. Hmm. That's excellent. So the, the experts were able to calibrate and rationalize whether the output was valuable or not. They were able to say, you know what, this would be saving time and these patterns the match is if we were trying to perform the same exact task. That's right. That's right. And it, it was very much a, a testing phase of like, this has now been made available to us. Let's experiment with it and validate that we think it can add value before we begin to rely on it. Impressive. That is impressive. As we need more of those stories. <laughs> going in going into 2024, I think I, I think I think that I, I think a theme of ours is going to be um, how to operationalize all these AI investments that people, I mean, I think businesses are going to take these things and just invest them into the things that they need to do that rev that generates revenue. Mm -hmm. But um, the next question will be, how do you go use it to go and make the workplace a better place is going to be kind of less of an, um, it's going to be something with less emphasis. And the question will be, how do we, um, how do we operationalize it internally to help with the drudgery of the the non-revenue generating things that still have to go get done? Sure. Yeah. Another thing we have to be careful about, I was, I was going to dub 2024 the year of the case study. Maybe, you know, that's really what we need. Another thing we have to be careful about is sometimes the drudgery <laughs> is how we enable a junior workforce, meaning new hires who who are not, in a position to, you know, execute certain kinds of knowledge tasks or things like that. I mean, the the old way was you go be a, a PowerPoint jockey and wrangle the slides of the yeah. consultants and things like that. So, you know, these analyst positions and things. What do analyst level roles become in the age of chat GBT in such a way that we don't accidentally kneecap our junior workforce? Yeah. From from learning through appropriately scaled Doing. knowledge tasks. Hmm. Don't don't kill your apprentice class or your intern class because you have ChatGPT now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what what you know and and this is this becomes the job of every manager of what do I set my new employees to that you know where they can add value where they can learn and develop and, and those sorts of things in addition to leveraging generative AI to augment my more senior uh, workforces activities. It's, it's not no, no easy answers here. But planning for the long, the long game um, have to be thought through. All right. So as you look into, oops, as I kick my camera, <laughs> turn on my light. Uh, let me screw all this up. All right. As you look out into 2024, as we kind of try and think about, um, what do you think the year of the case study? Because uh, you're giving us a natural off ramp. What do you think the outcome is that we're driving for in 2024, the year of the case study? Are we all just doing experiments and reporting them out or like, what are we trying to draw? What are we trying to get done? 
yeah, I, I think I think it's I think it's experimentation to find out where this new unexplored country, you know, can deliver value, um, you know, where we can capitalize on the things it can do well for us and minimize the downsides, you know, and, and therefore, you know, check our deployments of it and check the data that it produces against you know, the real world implications that it, it could have or against our goals for our junior workforce or, you know, so we need to be, you know, take it in slowly, to, you know, develop projects uh, that we want to use it, try using it for and see where it actually contributes value or maybe places where it, it disrupts things or, or, you know, creates problems for us or things that will be, be problems for us down the road. Uh, and then uh, reflect, capture, document, and disseminate, and share, and tell those stories across the organization. Mm. You know, here because you're going to get you've got late adopters too. There's people who haven't touched this thing yet, and you know are reluctant to see what it can do for them. And so you kind of need good stories to tell about. Here's what value it it you know was able to do for this team, and how they were able to use it thoughtfully and carefully, and speed up their processes and minimum and what did they do to minimize the downside so 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 last question then on on that thing as that as this year unfolds um what sources people sub stacks are you paying attention to that are thinking about these things um uh, in the next year, is there any places that you are finding very interesting to pay attention to as this stuff unfolds? I'm a bad one to ask for that because I am so uh, gluttonous in my information intake that That's exactly what I'm asking <laughs> you. <laughs> you I, are my I... chat GPT. I'm asking you to disseminate all of this and just give me a simple answer. Because unlike uh... you, I watch sports, so I've got a full day of wasting time. <laughs> And maybe this is telling. I I yeah. don't have a go to resource, but I consume a lot of various news outlets and thought leaders on LinkedIn posts and things like that. One thing that I think is is useful though is I will chase down the link trail. So if somebody mm. is summarizing a report, or and I, I think this is just a good information consumption behavior, but if somebody's referencing a, a report, I want to go and see. The report they're referencing, I'll read their summary and then go look for the thing and say, okay, well, you know, how big is how big a an N was this in in who they researched and how this was done, or you know, who who ran the study, and so I can kind of gauge: is this useful information or is this fluff that I'm I'm hearing third hand now because somebody else reported on the report that was you know produced by a questionable source, so. I, I'll chase down the click trail to try to get to the original thing to see, uh, you know, if there's value there. That's the back. professor in you, Sean. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Double checking the students' work. <laughs> and and re it's like it's the nature of research. Like you know, there's there's good research and there's not good research. Um, and, and if like these are pretty big bets we're placing, and if you want to, you know put your chips on the table knowing you know what's informing you and the value like its relative uh value and motivation i think it i think is important 
Um, I'm darn glad to have uh, access to Northwestern's uh, libraries uh, for, for this very reason. So um, I, I'm not actively consuming, um, you know, original research on, on this front yet. I am, you know, mostly monitoring trade publications and things like that and kind of po uh, popular workplace-based news um, just to get a sense of where it's moving and how it's being adopted and, and that sort of thing. But I, I think that might have to change in the not too distant future. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Sean, thank you again. And uh, to our listeners out there, really appreciate your time and we'll see you in 2024.